Well, welcome, uh, gentlemen. It's good to see you this morning. Hope you're doing well. Uh, two of you are doing well. The rest of you are you're playing living statues. Now you're not responding. Uh, but um, I want to say uh, a word about uh, the end of Philippians 2, uh, but I want to spend our time on Philippians 3. That's where I want to begin. Uh, the Verse 19 through 30 of Philippians 2, Paul uh, talks about two individuals, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he just tells them about, I'm sending them to you and all of that. But I think the value of that, and, and we're really not going to uh, delve into it uh, with any depth, but the value of that, again, is Paul offers them as models of what he's been talking about, the humility, the selflessness, the servanthood, and so on. And when you just take a minute or two and just read through the descriptive phrases, of those uh, of those verses, you really see that they are good models of what he's talking about. With that uh, said, I want to begin chapter three now, and I want to begin chapter three, um, perhaps in a little bit of an unusual way, or maybe unexpected way. It's not unusual for me because that's what I wanted to do. But if you turn back for just a minute to the book of Ephesians, you're in Philippians. Just go back one book. You're in Ephesians, chapter two verse 8. <clears throat> and uh, one of the wonderful aspects of chapter 2 of Ephesians is it's on the theme of grace. Darrell, I don't know where I'm going to have you sit. Um, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but um, it's the, the, the matter of grace. And the, kind of the, the pinnacle of that is in verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, etc. Now, what is important there, and that's what I want to focus on as we lay the groundwork for chapter 3, when it comes um, to salvation, and I hope you can um, see this as I, I'm looking at it, I see that. The, the print is pretty light. I guess it's the markers are running out a little bit. But we're talking here about the issue of salvation, okay? And the key beginning point for that as we think about it is Ephesians 2, 8, 9, which I just read. For by grace through faith you are saved. And he goes on, not of works, thus any man should boast. So when the New Testament focuses on the matter of salvation, it always stresses grace. What is that? Hello, Tom. I'm sorry you have to sit there. I'm sorry I'm late. Um, you're paying the penalty for me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. It's fine. I'm just so glad you're here. What do we mean by grace? Say it again. Undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. Great, great definition. Undeserved favor. Unmerited favor. Unworked for favor. Who is showing us favor? God. God. So if it's unmerited or undeserved or unworked for, then why is he doing it? He loves us. He wants to walk with us in fellowship. That's why he created us in his image, and so on. We're about ourselves. Well, okay, thank you, Jim. 
That was my next question. Oh, he, he had to do it that way. He had to do it that way because there was no other way for salvation to be achieved. So how, what's, what's our role in that then? Faith. Let's put it, uh, let's put it another way. Um, suppose, uh, in a way, this analogy, like all analogies, breaks down. But suppose, I was, I'm going to give each one of you this as a Christmas present. So I have however many there are here today. And this is a terrible Christmas present, but follow the analogy, okay? So I, I put in front of you, each one of your desks, a marker like that. I'm giving you that. I'm giving it because I care about you. I'm giving it because I love you. But it's not because you earned it. It's not because you merited it. But when does that become yours? Only when you take it. Only when you pick it up, when you take it. If you leave it lying on the table, it's not yours. So you have not received it. So what God has done when he offers us salvation by grace through faith for us to appropriate all of that, we've got to pick it up and receive it. But it is always, 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 always important to remember that it is all of God. We have had nothing to do with the salvation dynamic. Nothing. Because as Jim correctly said, there is nothing we can do to earn a merit. One of the prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah, speaks of it, is our righteousness, our good, good works, are as valuable as filthy rags, which isn't a very nice way to talk about something. But he's just saying in another, another way of putting it, there is nothing we can do to merit the favor of God. But he extends it to us. But we have to pick it up. We have to receive it. It's a gift. All right, now, what Paul is about to discuss in chapter 3 are grace killers. Now, that's not a New Testament phrase. That's not a biblical phrase. That's an Ekman phrase. And I've heard others use it, so it really isn't really original with me. But let's think about that for a minute, because if you don't understand this, you start reading chapter 3 and you're kind of confused. Because he starts calling people names, and he starts talking about himself, and all of the things that characterized him, himself, before he came to faith in Christ. He was an astonishingly successful man. One of the paradigms of first century Judaism. So when I use the phrase grace killers, what do you think I mean by that? Things that you could potentially use or at least try to substitute for grace that nullify its effect. Wow, that's did you get that? <laughs> Ways we don't pick up the marker. Suppose you pick up the marker and try to do something else. Or you pick up the marker and add to picking up the marker. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take what Jim said. I'm going to take what Rob said. Anything that adds, now use a phrase that's in the New Testament, but I don't think it's hard to understand. Anything that adds works to this. So anything that says it's grace, it's the grace of God, plus, so fill in the blank. 
What would be some of the blanks? Good night, Woody. In the three years I've known you, you've never been late. It's good to see you. He called. He said he was going to be here. Huh? He called. He said he was going to be Oh, he said he was going to be late. Okay, you expect me to forgive him because of that? Sure. No, okay. Great. <laughs> no. Um, it's intentional. What's that? I walked out of some training to be here. Well, Woody, I'm glad your priorities in order. That's really good. Now, back back to back to the to the thought here. Grace killer is you're adding works, or you're saying it's grace. I will pick up the marker. Plus, what are some of the pluses? What would be some of the additional things there? Go to church. I'm going to go to church because the intent. Now, you have to really think through this. The grace killer intent is. I'm going to do this, this, and this, and that's going to earn me bounty points with God. That's going to earn me favor with God. That's going to get me on the inside track with God. So it's grace plus my works. So what are some of the works? Going to church. Going Rob, to a Bible study. What's that? Rob? Going to a Bible study. Going to a Bible study. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, with the intent, with the intent, with the intent that this, this is... Doctrinal, is right? <laughs> That this is going to earn me favor with God. Now see, listen, what is really, really, really in back of the grace killer mentality is, the more I do, the more God loves me. The less I do, the less God loves me. Isn't this an area where churches disagree a lot? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to be showing my naivety, but I've been just lately, I've had a little more exposure to the Catholic Church and what they believe. They certainly have a works component. And in my own church, there's a movement toward the eliminating having to pick up the marker. Just, you know, there are many paths to God, you know, the pluralistic approach. Many paths to God, you know, he'll come scoop us up with a basket. <laughs> You summarize three options there. Only one of those three is a biblical option. The Bible, I believe, is crystal clear on this point. If you add anything to grace, you have stepped outside the New Testament idea of salvation. Now, again, we're talking about salvation. Let's use a a more theological term. We're talking about justification. You know, that means... They're interchangeable words when you're talking about the initial aspect of, of salvation. But we talk about justification. If you add anything to grace to seek justification, to attain justification, you stepped outside of the New Testament. And so if you, if you say, I'll try to summarize what I, I think you said, uh, Ron? Rob. Rob. Rob is, um, let's suppose you say, well, it doesn't matter what you believe, just that you sincerely believe something, then God will let you in heaven. That's a pernicious idea. But there are some people who believe that. But it's a big scoop. And just as long as you believe, you're in the scoop. Or the shovel, or whatever metaphor works there. Um, Jesus says something. What does he say in John 14? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Not Muhammad. Not Buddha. Not my works, but through me. But this passage says that there's other pen, and from this pen, and there's other pen that 
you know, in uh, John 13? Some pastors using that. You, you know what I'm referring to? That's uh, a prostitution of God's word. I love what you said right now. among our church's leaders. I can point out. Oh, I know exactly. I know exactly whom you refer to. Um, I want to tell you something. If you start thinking about that, then you read Philippians 3. You see the apostle coming unglued because there are a group of people with whom he has become familiar. We're going to give him a label a little bit later on to this afternoon called the Judaizers. Now, that was, a, that was a label that was given to them. But I'm going to talk about who they are and what, the, what they believe. But Paul is, I mean, he's absolutely coming unglued with this. He has some of his strongest language here and in the book of Galatians addressed to a group of people who are adding something to grace. And in this particular uh, uh, situation in chapter 3, they're adding, among other things, they're adding circumcision. So they're saying, okay, you come, you come to Jesus, but don't forget you've got to be circumcised. And then you have to do this. And then you have to do this. That's a grace killer mentality. Because instead of saying salvation is by grace through faith, you're saying salvation is by grace plus circumcision, plus keeping the feast days, plus, I mean, just keep adding to the list. You've just killed grace. Because you're adding to the work of, and let's put it another way, you are saying the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection wasn't enough. I must do something more. And I mean, just if you start putting it that way, putting it that way, you think, oh, that's abhorrent. I, I think it is. It's abhorrent to say that. That the work of Jesus wasn't enough. So I have to, I have to observe what he did, read what he did, accept what he did by faith, but don't forget, you also must add this and this and this, because if you're not adding that, I'm sorry, you're not saved or you're not justified. That is why Paul, I mean, he, really, you see it, if you haven't read chapter 3 for a while, you'll see the language he uses. I mean, he is just, he is abhorred by this. He's repulsed by this. And he pushes back in the hardest way he can push back to that kind of truth. And um, my own view is, throughout all of history, there have always been and I'm not necessarily t talking about other world views or other world religions, although obviously they would fit in here. But I'm talking about even within, broadly speaking, Christianity, and again, broadly speaking, people who would name themselves as Christians, there are an awful lot of grace killers out there. People who are adding to the finished work of Jesus. And I think that is the point. When you start addressing it from that perspective, if you're saying, okay, I pick up the marker, plus I must do this, 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 or I don't have a complete salvation, you have just made a statement about the work of Jesus. You're saying it's not enough. It's not good enough. And when you start saying, you should really feel uncomfortable with that. Because I don't think the New Testament allows you to say that. Uh, you, you gave a good illustration of, uh, of a gift. There's two types of gifts in law. One is a gift inner violence between living parties. There's a gift causa mortis, which is a gift that comes after death. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the recipient after death doesn't work in this case. So we would we could say, I think, based on that, is that salvation is always a gift in our Bibles. Mm. It's not after you're dead. Mm-hmm. It's while you're, living while you're living that we have that opportunity mm-hmm. That's to right. come to Christ. That's right. Absolutely. All right, now t- talk to me more if you're not following what I'm doing. I'm laying the groundwork for what I think is the proper perspective to understand chapter 3. Talk to me about it. Yeah, Mark. So, not being the marker by itself is also a grace killer. Is that true? Well, yeah, you're rejecting the grace of God. Absolutely. So, it depends on just being up the, the marker, which is accepting Jesus, and not adding anything to it, or removing anything out of this. This is the only way to heaven. Is that That's right. That's right. Yeah, again, like all analogies, it breaks down. But following that analogy, the only way to get into heaven is pick up the pick up the marker, and that's all. You don't add anything to it because, again, I think the proper New Testament perspective is to add anything to what Jesus did is to say something about the inadequacy of Jesus. That's what the Book of Hebrews is all about. The key phrase in the Book of Hebrews is a once-for-all sacrifice. You don't need anything else with that. But um, So anything you substitute for the marker or anything you add to the marker is a grace killer. And it, it is rejecting the relentless, the relentless pursuit of God in our lives and that the relentless pursuit is the pursuit of grace. His common grace, which is evident to every human being, but his saving grace, which is what Jesus is all about, what his uh, salvation, his death, burial, and resurrection is all about. And what Paul is addressing in chapter 3 is a group of individuals. He doesn't name them. We don't know any specific things about them other than what they taught. And Paul is, is, is leveling at this position, harsh language, uncompromising language, and in effect saying that this is not Christianity. Now, again, that's my summary of what he's saying. So any other comments before we start looking at chapter 3, though? To, to lay this foundation, I think it's really important, or we might miss some of the thrust of what he's really doing. Daryl? But what if there's no evidence that you have picked up the marker? As, as in bringing in First John. Yeah, well, um, that's another <laughs> that's another topic. Let's let's turn that into a, a positive, if I could, uh, Daryl. As you as you put your faith in Christ, as you pick up the marker, you receive the the free gift of of, of God in Christ Jesus. Then you start to see, I believe, I believe you will start to see the evidence of the transformation that's starting. And that that's going to, you know, that's going to be. It's going to be manifested in so many different ways. I can't put a template over Jim's life and over Andrew's life and everybody else's life around here and say it's going to be exactly the same. But you're going to start to see some evidence of that transformation. And if you go back again to Ephesians, Paul, his his language there is very, very clear. You accept the gift, for by grace through faith you are saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then what's the next verse? Then he brings in the good works. But grace through faith is first, then 
the changed life. Then the the evidence, if you will, I'm not sure you used the word evidence, I forget what word you used, but then you start to see that change. And I, I think that is, um, that is, I understand every single aspect of the New Testament, that is the proper order. You don't put the works first, because then you're killing grace. But again, I mean, I get real theological this, because in order for us to be able to effect the verb EFF effect the good works we have to have a changed nature we have to be regenerated Jesus says to John uh, to Nicodemus in John 3 you have to be one again and you're that new creature in Christ then you start to see the evidence of that and that's that then that begins you know we've talked about those words before then that process of sanctification begins and there is a difference between sanctification and justification, but we've talked about that a lot. So, so when you use the word grace killer, I just want to be, make sure I'm clear on kind of where your theology is here. You're not suggesting that if someone were to, by faith, um, accept God's grace, mm -hmm. and then at some point adds works to it that it somehow nullifies... <coughs> Well, I think there are two things. That's another book, uh, but and it's a little bit of a different nuance, but it's still the same theme. What Paul is concerned about in Galatians uh, chapter one is the nature and proclamation of the gospel then. Because you see, Jim, if you start adding something to grace, then you're changing the gospel message. Which means you, and I hope you understand, because the way you set up the question is the way I'm answering it, you may personally pick up the marker and personally accept the grace of God in Christ. But then as you go on, you start saying, but you know, I just have realized I probably should add this to that too. And then you start saying to other people, you start proclaiming the gospel. That it is, it is faith in Jesus Christ plus being circumcised, plus going to church regularly. And if you miss church one Sunday, God's going to get you. Now, I don't know anybody would say it quite that way. But that mentality that I'm earning God's favor by doing this. Even in sanctification, you don't earn God's favor. Let me put it, I think I put it this way earlier. Men, I hope you believe this, because it is, it, is it is an axiomatic truth. There is nothing we can do that is going to cause God to love us more or less. Do you agree with that? Mm -hmm. There is nothing we can do that will cause him to love us less or more than he does now. That astonishing verse that everybody has memorized, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What motivates God to put the plan of redemption together? His love for his rebels, the rebellious inhabitants of planet Earth, that he seeks relentlessly through his grace to win them, to reconcile them. But the condition is, You've got to pick up the marker. To use my ridiculous analogy. Okay. So, Rob? people that preach 
um, the need to give thanks. Because I was look, I was thinking about that on the right side there. It's a grace killer. I I don't see giving thanks as being grace killer as long as you don't say I've got to give thanks to get the mark. Exactly. So Remember, that's why I, I put it that above salvation, justification. And that's adding a little more of a theological nuance to this, but I think it's important. If you say you earn justification by giving thanks to God, that's a grace killer. Yeah. But if you say, when you come to faith in Christ and you put your trust in him and you are the new creature that second Corinthians 5 talks about, then one of the things we're going to start to see is a thankful spirit. Maybe not the next day, where, I mean, you thank the Lord for salvation, but a thankful spirit. That's one of the evidences. And, I mean, think of another, uh, another way of looking at this, Ephesians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit that the spirit starts producing in our life. But that doesn't occur before justification. That occurs after justification. The grace killer mentality, to use maybe not a ridiculous phrase here, but the grace killer mentality is you are in effect saying, whether you consciously have thought it through this way or not, the grace killer mentality is Jesus' work is not enough. I have to add something to it. The moment you start thinking that way or adding to it, you have, you have become a grace killer. Because you're saying to people then, Again, whether you even want to articulate it that way, but you are in effect saying Jesus isn't enough. You start with him, but then you've got to add more. And if you add more, then, then, you're, then you're acceptable to God. And you've, tra- you've crossed from a, a, grace, a grace-based salvation to a performance-based salvation. And there's nothing, nothing more pernicious than that. Because how do you know you performed enough? You're going to search in vain to find any metrics in the scriptures that say you performed enough. And God says, okay, now you finally have got it. Now you're in. I mean, just think of that. Think of just talking like that. I mean, that's it's an outrageous way to talk about salvation. But Jesus says in John 6, 47, he that believes in me has eternal life. Now, he that believes plus does these six things, has eternal life. That's not what he says. For by grace, through faith, I'll use our theological word, you are justified. Not of works, lest any man should both. Suppose it is works. And I'd, I n- would never work as hard as Jim. So Jim's standing in heaven with his sons and his suspenders and saying, I'm here because I did more than Ekman. Praise be to me. Amen? Amen. No, I mean, <laughs> for by grace through faith you're saved, not our works, let's have any boast. When Jim and I are both in heaven, neither one of us is going to be able to boast and say we're here because of something we did or whatever. I think it's important, too, to point out that justification is a one-time thing forever because I don't believe this, but I've also heard a pastor speak on Jesus saying, Forgive, or your father won't forgive you. Mm. And so you're saved. Mm. And then after justification, you have to maintain mm. justification mm. by forgiving. Mm-hmm. But how do you know you've 
always perfectly forgiven everyone, mm -hmm. we couldn't know that either. That's right, that's right, that's right. And even that whole idea of forgiveness has to be understood. There are two categories of forgiveness in the New Testament. That's right. What do you, did you, I thought you had, I, I, yeah. I just want to test this with you. Like if I uh, decide that I should go down and feed the homeless and the hungry uh, as a responsibility, mm. instead of wanting to do that because I care and I have compassion for them, that would take it from from a Grace Keller to back to Grace. Yes. What makes it a grace killer, Woody, is if you say, i got to go down and feed the homeless to merit God's favor. Then he's going to love me more and accept me more. The way you put it initially, if I understood you correctly, you desire to serve and help other people out of the compassion and love in your own heart. Where does that come from? From the Lord. That's a proper response to that. Because we are, it's what, what chapter 2 is all about that we just finished studying. But it's, it's making sure that, maybe this isn't the right way to put it, but it's another way to put it, that's to make sure we're not putting the cart before the horse, horse when we're talking about the gospel. The nature of the gospel is by grace, through faith, plus nothing. That's the gospel. Sanctification is, we're going to start, that's why, and I, you, I shared this with you before, historically, the last 2,000 years, the change agents of history have been Christians. The abolition of slavery in the British Empire was done by Christians, not by politicians in Parliament. It took a man like William Wilberforce who spent his entire adult life to pursue that. And on his deathbed, they passed the legislation which abolished slavery in the British Empire. Why did he do that? Because he came to Christ in a Methodist revival meeting. It changed his life, changed his perspective about everything. The abolition of slavery in the United States is a movement start. With the, with the leaders that come to Christ out of the Second Great Awakening. Theodore Weld is one of the best examples. The, the re revolution was initiated by the Well, yeah, well, yeah I mean, the, the leaders of the American movement, you cannot understand the movement for American independence if you don't understand the First Great Awakening. I mean, those two things are inextricably linked, and historians who don't even care about Christianity acknowledge that. The energy of the independence movement came from the First Great Awakening and the passion for political liberty and religious liberty. Those two came together. That nexus was formed. It was a very powerful one. Okay, now, it's 20 after 12. We've yet to look at a verse. So that's, I wanted, all I wanted to do was get the groundwork laid. Otherwise, it's hard to understand what he's doing here. Finally, now verse three begins with one of, of chapter three begins with finally. That doesn't mean he's about to end the letter. It means he's changing the subject. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard to you. Okay, now what we're saying in verse one is, I have talked to you about this before, and I want to do it again because it's a safeguard. You could translate that. This is a warning. Be on the alert. Be very careful. There are grace killers out there. And so he addresses them as beware of the dogs. As I said when I started this morning, it, Paul uses some of his harshest language. Beware of the dogs. Now you have to understand that the Jews called Gentiles dogs 
So he, and typically in the ancient world, dogs, you, you're, when you see dog, you're thinking of Fido at home. That you have, you know, he has his own bed, you know. My kids, John and, and Greg, just got a dog. You know, they finally got their home, and now they got a dog, and it's a mixture of a lab and an Australian shepherd. And this is going to be a big dog, and this dog is out of control. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about dogs were scavengers. They ran in packs. And so Jews began to develop a label for those people outside the covenant. So Paul is taking that word and saying, these are dogs. Who are the dogs? I'm going to give you a label. This is the label that that becomes used. Judaizers. That's not a New Testament word. That's a term that is used in in. The, the literature of the writers of the second century. That's what they called them. These are, these are people who are Jews who are hearing the gospel message and they're saying, okay, we accept some of that. If you want to believe the rabbi Jesus, that's good. But don't forget, you also have to be circumcised. And you also have to keep the feast days. And you also have to observe the Sabbath. What are they doing? They're adding something to the work of Jesus. When did they start showing up? After Jesus? Paul's first letter is the book of Galatians, written in AD 49. And AD 49, they are following Paul around Galatia. So it's very early, Mark. Very, very early. Because, and again, I'm not trying to say anything in sympathy with them. I'm trying to get you to understand historically. Remember, how difficult it is for a Jewish person to embrace the idea that Jesus is the Messiah. Because their expectation of Messiah is not what Jesus meant. That means they didn't study the Old Testament very well. But the point is, and so they're saying, okay, uh, we, we hear some of the things that Paul's saying, but don't listen to everything he's saying. This idea of Jesus is okay, but you still have to be circumcised. You still have to, that's what they're adding. So they're grace killers. And in in Galatians, Paul calls this a heteron, a gospel of a totally different kind. Pretty strong language. So he is referring to beware of the dogs. That's their character. Beware of the evil workers. That's their conduct. Beware of the false circumcision. That's their doctrine. You with me? So if you take that apart, dogs, that's their character. Evil workers, that's their conduct. False circumcision, that's their doctrine. So let's take that apart. I already talked about dogs. Again, that that is a, that is a, it's, Fred did get it. Thank you. Um, that's, that's a way to refer to them. It's a very demeaning and derogatory way, but it's the Judaizers. Beware of the evil workers, their conduct. They are workers of iniquity. They're the workers of evil. 